I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. This week is Players Week, so I figured it would be no better than to bring in my favorite PGA Tour employee, Sean Martin, onto the podcast. Uh, Sean is a uh, writer, editor uh, for PGATour.com. He is the lead editor, lead editorial lead comma editorial at pgatour.com so we talk about a little bit about what's been going on on the pga tour as well as preview this week's players um as always you can read sean's writing at pgatour.com highly recommend it he does a great job uh blending stories and stats like nobody else can do he's, he's just a uh he's a golf nut so uh without further ado here is sean martin and uh enjoy the players this week All right, Sean Martin, lead editorial for PGATour.com, PGA Tour, editorial lead. I like editorial lead more. You know, I'm not a, a big title human, but you, you got promoted from senior editor. You know, every time, every year you get promoted, it seems like, because every year I, I interview you, you have a new title. I should flip the nines you're saying, go from lead editorial to editorial lead and just, uh Yeah. Maybe I should do that. It's worked well for many golf courses, including Augusta National. So maybe I just flip the nines. Yeah, I I think it's it's not a bad idea. I think it just it it rings a little bit. It's easier. It doesn't. Yeah. You don't need the comma then either. It, titles with punctuation in them always throw me off. Like because then oftentimes you put a comma if you say someone's name first, like Andy Johnson, CEO of Fried Egg. Uh, you surround that with commas. You have to throw a comma in the title. Then there's commas within commas, and it's just clauses, and it's just can't keep it straight. As somebody that never learned where to put put a comma, my wife when she edited the the, the <laughs> look at you now—you're running a successful golf website. Yeah, she used to used to say when she was editing the newsletter way back when she'd be like, "I think that you actually think to put the comma always in the wrong spot." So <laughs> you know, anytime the comma's involved, I I, I try and get out of the situation. So uh, we haven't talked in a while. What? How's uh? What what have been your thoughts about the early part of the season? We're going to do our our usual uh, big tournament lead up, which this isn't quite a major, so we're going to do four things instead of five things. Um, I was wondering if that was a, a shot at the status of the gold standard. Shot. It's more than a big, you know, a regular tournament might quantify three things. This tournament gets four things. It's not quite five. It offers the same amount of FedExco points, but does not get as many things as the majors. I get it. Well, I mean, the Honda offered just only 100 FedEx points less than this it's one. True. You know? So, what does that say? <laughs> I actually, I don't, I don't know. To be honest, I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> That's why we're giving it a lot of things, is what I'm saying. There'll be plenty of things. As we also know, we'll probably, neither of us will stick to four things. Things will get slid into things. There'll be sub things. There'll yeah. be many things discussed uh, today. No, things are good. I think last week was, uh, you guys discussed it on the, the shotgun start, but an awesome week for just kind of golf. Like you had the ascendant star of Scotty Scheffler and then the Cinderella story of Ryan Bram. Uh, and it kind of, I think it's like the two things we love most about golf, right? You want that, you want to see a rising star or you just want to see a guy whose life has completely changed in one day. And so we had that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is uh obviously Scheffler is a huge story and I think that uh ton of success as an am and hit the ground running was great player on the Corn Ferry tour and was a great player that just didn't have that win and it's like always this thing is like is winning overrated in, in something that, you know you got to have good bounces go your way to win these guys you know in these events there's so many good players and 
you know, Scotty Scheffler doesn't win for a couple of years and everybody's starting to say, oh, is he ever going to win? And it's like now here two into three weeks against two of the best fields of the year is the other thing is that in, in uh, and he's got a lot of close calls and majors. It's uh, it's time to start talking about Scotty Scheffler with uh, with Hovland, with not Morikawa and Rom yet, I don't think. But, you know, in that in that group, like I think they, he is a uh, obviously, you know, top five player in the world. It's crazy, too, because I feel like Scheffler, and I could be wrong, and Brantley Romine will let me know if I am, but like he didn't win a ton at college. He was a guy who just you know consistently racked up top fives. You know, obviously, he was a Walker Cupper. He was a low aim at the U.S. Open. A great career, but like Scheffler, Morikawa, I don't feel like they won a ton in college. Maybe that's just because the setups obviously aren't quite as penal and you can't separate yourself. I don't know, but... They didn't win a ton in college and then have like this really quick success as pros. I mean, Scheffler, despite appearances and what people say on Twitter, like is 25 years old and fifth in the world now. Um, and I don't know if maybe that's something you just continue to learn. Or, I don't know. But they didn't, these weren't guys who were lighting college golf on fire where you're like, this is a dominant player. I mean, that was Matthew Wolf uh, when Colin Morikawa and Scheffler were uh, in college. Hovland, too, didn't win a ton at Oak State. Um, I don't know. It's just something I was thinking about the other day, or actually yesterday when Scheffler was winning. I think, I mean, there's a couple of things to unpack from this. And I think there's, there's different personalities, right? And I think that's a big part. The, the thing that gets lost a little bit about performance and personalities. I personally am kind of like, I was never a great student, but the second I started working and it was my livelihood and it was my work, I became a great like employee, right? I was really, I worked my ass off. Like I never worked in college or high school at school. And I think that can be part of it. There's a switch when you turn professional that all of a sudden, oh, this is my job. And that's a different mentality. And certain personalities where you're doing it, you're a college athlete, you know, at this at that point, there's no revenue sources coming in. It's like kind of still like a hobby and I'm good at it, I, but it's not a job that there's a switch that turns and, and certain guys are going to just take a leap because their personality is to kind of be a loafer. And I think, I think Scheffler, I don't want to, you know, was known of like, he had a lot of head scratching performances, like what's going on. But yeah. then what I always noticed was the big, big tournaments when it was the NCAA championships, when it was the USAM Scotty Scheffler was there. Yeah, U.S. Open. I think he shot 69 the first round at Oakmont uh, mm-hmm. in 2016. Yeah, I mean, it's very true. Um, and college golf, like, yeah, you know what? If you don't, especially when you're in a program like Texas, you know, you finish fifth and you get on the jet with the team and you go back to your to campus and have fun with your friends and you play ping pong after practice. Like, it is a totally different lifestyle than, you know, when you're traveling the PGA Tour now and you're, you know, he's married. Like, you're traveling to events and you're there for really one reason, and that's to play good golf and prepare to play good golf there's no other really distractions yeah i think that that's something that doesn't get talked about enough because golf is so it's so mental obviously and you know you see it with you see it with kids though that in nfl players and nba got like you know certain organizations know like oh if we can get this guy into our system he we can turn him into something that people might not see but i think with golf there's the I think sometimes, you know, kids turn pro and, and that whole dynamic crushes them also. Mm-hmm. They really struggle with it. But then there's certain guys that just thrive with with like being a professional and knowing, hey, like something clicks in their brain that says like, oh, this is, I got to actually work hard now. Yeah. And actually, so you'll like this as a, as a hoops head. But, you know, I was at the MIT Sloan conference last weekend. And I wanted to, a to couple- talk about this. We'll get, it'll be one of our things, maybe. I don't want to use up our whole thing allotment too quickly, though. Um, but, you know, I went to a couple basketball panels, and the next thing, they feel really good about how to project players from college performance physically, but the next is, like, mentally. How do you pick who's going to be a great teammate? How do you predict who's going to, you know, be a, fit into your system well and, and as far as, you know, sharing the ball and not being obsessed with individual stats? And part of it was, frankly, it was like Daryl Morey said, the second that you think you have an answer, you don't have an answer. And it really was just like, look, these guys are 19, 20 years old and we all change immensely from 19 to 25. And you can't predict that like the best algorithm in the world isn't going to predict that. And so some of that is too, like there is just some mystery to it. Yeah. 
I, I, I so tell me a little bit more about the Sloan Sloan Conference. So for those that don't know, the Sloan Conference is is the you know basically sports analytics uh, Super Bowl. So uh, there are speakers, there are people that are you know great analytics experts in every type of sport. Work for different teams, uh, whether it's team based, editorial based. Go. It was in Boston again. Yeah, it was so cold. I don't know how people live in those parts of the country. It was unbelievable. I'm sure people at me with my weather takes, but it's unlivable, even in March. Um, beautiful city, though. But um, yeah, I think one of the, there was a few golf things. It, golf's never obviously one of the headliners there. It's you know baseball, basketball, football. Uh, one of the cool things was Kirk Goldsberry, uh, ESPN's mm-hmm. NBA analyst, was talking about biomechanics and how that's still a frontier that the NBA hasn't delved deeply into. And he said that golf is actually, you know, really far ahead of, of um, basketball in that area. And I think it's always interesting when people do mention golf, you know, cause everyone thinks we're behind the times and behind on certain things, but um, golf's embracing of biomechanics. And he did mention Bryson um, by name as, as kind of the example and how, what he did during COVID and, and post COVID with his, um, you know, kind of Chris Como's lab and his living room, but somewhere that golf was ahead of other sports. Um, and I think I tweeted this morning, you know, I think the big thing that I really sense, it's been a few years since I've been to it, is that like we're definitely going from a macro to like a micro stage of analytics. And I think probably we were already there. and I just picked up on it. But, you know, analytics cause these giant changes in how we think about sports. So the NBA was shooting the three more often. MLB was focusing on three true outcomes of strikes, walks, and home runs um golf it was bang driver more often right and so it's like okay we found these new conclusions that we feel like we should play the game differently and then now it's becoming more nuanced where it's like okay but those conclusions don't work for everyone and so how instead do we use the analytics to get the most out of our team like out of what we have right now instead of wishing we had you know steph on our team or something um how do we get the best out of this player instead of trying to turn him into something he's not so i think that's kind of the next phase i think we'll see that some in in golf as well and i think we are seeing it because like look not everyone can send it you know all the time and and rory showed us that sometimes when you do try to do that you you ruin things so i think that's where we're coming at next it'll be a much more new nuanced view of of kind of what analytics can do yeah i think that that's the i mean it makes a lot of sense right there's there's best practices and then there are obviously best practices for you and it's such a personal endeavor, the game. Yeah. Like if you you could know percentage wise that this is a certain shots the right shot, but if you're standing over the golf ball and you just don't feel good, you should not hit that shot. Yeah. <laughs> because like at the end of the day, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, and that's I think one of the big things with with the analytics is like what's necessarily right for the masses isn't always right for the individual. Well, and going, you know, the, the thing that holds a lot of people up with biomechanics, like the NBA is like, basically you got to send a guy up to, I guess it's EA sports lab in Vancouver, where it's literally the suit with all the markers on it. Um, but there was a company there, Sportsbox. I think some of us have seen them on Twitter that like, literally it's going to turn your phone into almost a, a motion capture system where like you can film someone's swing and it will then produce this 3d model of their motion and you can compare it to your own benchmarks. You can compare it to someone else's swing. And so like, I mean, if, if you're one day in your pocket, your phone is going to be like a launch monitor, which I think isn't that far away either. The Rapsodo system is kind of the size of a launch monitor and uses basically a, a camera to kind of track it. Or, you know, your phone is going to allow you to do like biomechanical analysis. Like just imagine, I mean, I remember the players a couple years ago, Webb Simpson was like, yeah, we used to get a club from the trucks and be like, all right, here, try to make this work. And now it's like, you know, if it doesn't work within a couple of swings, they just change it. And so you don't, you're not making your swing fit the club, like the club's fitting your swing. And so all these like changes can just happen that much more quickly. And there's so much less time in the wilderness trying to figure things out. That's, uh, I mean, Ogilvy uh, said on this pod uh, years ago, he was, I, I think he, he said, it used to be everybody went week to week and they'd talk on the range. I think I've got it. And then one day, everybody just knew what the answer was. Like, yeah. and it was like, that's what TrackMan did, was that everybody on the range knew it, knew what it was. Yeah. And it used to be you go week to week thinking you got it and thinking you had it figured out. And I think that's uh, that's been a little bit of the underrated, uh, the underspoken about aspect of, of what's going on on tour now, the depth of talent 
and the the crazy score winning scores that we saw early part of this year um, is that like you know these guys are really good. They've trained differently than any other type of uh, you know golfer that we've seen to date, and you know the swing is so dialed in now. Yeah, and so really the biggest separator now probably is mental game. Like there's so many players with the physical tools to do it right. It's the mental ability to withstand the pressure. So you go back to like Scotty Scheffler, like he was a very good college player, a great college player. But honestly, one of the things that maybe sets, separates him now is that he's a guy who doesn't seem to get, you know, perturbed, doesn't seem to get very upset, handles the, seems to handle the pressure now, you know, whether that's because Ted Scott's on the bag and he's helping him or just is a coincidence that he's winning after Ted came on the bag. But, you know, the biggest separator right now might be the mental game. And so those guys who possess kind of that it factor, you know, mentally to handle Sunday afternoons, like you, you can't separate yourself as much with the physical game. So maybe it, it's the mental game now that separates you more. Yeah. You know, Scheffler, it seems like he'd be playing the exact same way if it was Tuesday morning or Sunday afternoon. It yeah. just with his disposition, it's very similar. Like I think as, as he keeps becoming a little bit more and more in the spotlight, like there's going to be some DJ comps because I think like they, they've got a very similar kind of apathy. Totally. Um, apathetic look, but deep down that they, you know, like that's the thing. Nobody gets to the top five of the world without working hard. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Club Champion. Club Champion is a new sponsor. They are the best in the business at club fitting. So I've been uh, personally, I could talk to this for a very long time. I've been going to Club Champion since before it was Club Champion. I used to get Uh, My club's fit by one of the founders of Club Champion out of his garage when I was in high school. And uh, it's been really fun as a uh, consumer, as a customer of theirs to watch them grow from a garage into this huge corporation that has club fitting centers all over the country. Um, They are the best in the business. It is an experience. You go there, um, they get you on uh, TrackMan and you get to try out a bunch of different clubs. I think that the big thing that I admire most about Club Champion is just the idea of like going there with an open mindset and they will get you dialed in with the best equipment for you. This is not, you know, golf equipment is not a X brand is the best brand for everybody. That's that's not how it works. Go in there with an open mind and get the best clubs for you and uh, they will get you the best shafts, best irons, drivers, whatever you get fit for, for your game. So go to clubchampiongolf.com. That's clubchampiongolf.com to find a location near you and schedule a fitting today. And if you use the promo code fried egg just fried egg no spaces you will get 20 percent off your fitting with the purchase of a club so if you use the promo code fried egg uh you will get 20 percent off your fitting that's not a inconsequential number there there is some value there so go to clubchampiongolf.com to schedule your fitting today thanks to club champion and now back to sean martin all right, let's get to the four things. We, we let's, let's talk about the players. Is, is Sky Scheffler one of your four things? Uh, he is not, but he maybe should be. Is hottest player in golf? I guess I hate saying that. But it's like, how do you you know hottest player in the last couple months? But like, how do you how do you say John Rahm isn't the hottest player of the last year because what he's right. done? And then going into Bay Hill, you would have said Victor Hovland was the hottest player in the world, and he st- I mean he only finished a stroke behind him. So really, that that much of a difference? It's, so yeah. Um, he's not, but maybe he should have been, but I'm sure we'll discuss him. Was it, what's your first thing? My first thing is really the weather. Um, it's kind of wild. We've got, it looks like three different wind. We've got some rain early in the week. Then it gets cool and windy. We've got like three different wind directions. Um, I texted a couple of caddies to try to get people who know this stuff better than I, uh, to weigh in on it. And, you know, you've got possibly 20 plus, uh, mile an hour winds on the weekend. Uh, from different directions. And then on the weekend, it's going to be 17 and 18 playing into the wind, which is going to make them very difficult. And that's kind of your traditional March wind. But I think just the variety, you know, you've got a golf course where it's it's hard to see this unless you've like been here or looked at an aerial of it. But it's a golf course where two straight holes don't go in the same direction until 17 and 18. So if you've got different wind directions, you've got high winds, swirling winds, like it's just such a variable test. because It's not like, you know, for example, Kiowa last year on the back nine, you've got, you know, I think four holes out, five holes in, and you just face one direction. And then 
halfway through the back nine, you face the same direction all the way coming in. It's, it's just, it's going to be kind of crazy. It's a little soft right now, um, but the rough is thick. And then a high wind out here is, could, it could be hard. The other thing about it with wind is that you're in those tree canopies. So yeah. it's really actually really hard to like know which way it's blowing. And it, and it adds a lot of doubt because like you get those swirls and you get it coming down a tunnel and it might not be like the way the ball, the way the wind's reacting above above that tree line isn't the what you feel on the ground and i i think that is something and i think one of the things with this golf golf course in the march date with the overseed uh the overseeded rye it's never gonna play lightning fast so right like unlike like a lot of weeks like if you see riv just getting drenched in rain you're like kind of sad like oh yeah. that's a bummer. Like rain here isn't as big of a deal. They have sub air in the greens, which can get some of that that moisture out of it. Um, but I think the big thing is like the fairways aren't going to play like flying fast either way. Um, you know, obviously you don't want rain, but it's not the worst place to get rain of all the places on the calendar. Um, yeah. So I think that's the thing. But I yeah I'm excited, and I think from. You know, when you think about a golf tournament, right, you get these like four days of competition and it's um, I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, if you know, basketball game or NFL game or any other sport is like the game is condensed into this like small, you know, yeah. two hour block. But golf is crazy because it's, it's spanned out. This is really the ideal kind of thing where you get that variability because each day is a little different. And if you if you sit down and you really make a you know a point to watch this tournament day in day out you're going to see something fun because holes are going to play so much differently day in day out the hard part is that it's warm enough here now that the the rain is going to be thunderstorms which is going to mean delays in play probably it's not going to be you know playing through it but then the low on saturday is 41 and the high is <laughs> 70 sunday the low is 36 and the high is 53 which i mean that's you don't get that very often and it's going to be a, a grind I'm I'm glad I'm not attending. I know I might have to break out the beanie, yeah. some gloves, big mitts. It's going to be big mitts season for sure. <laughs> so uh, I was uh, the weather is going to add to an enhanced v- uh, viewing experience, and we got year two of every shot live. So that's I think that's one of the things to watch for the way most people watch this uh, event, like. I think this is one of the coolest things out there. Um, obviously, Augusta does does it, it's not live, but the I, the ability to go back and watch somebody's round the entire yeah. in its entirety is incredible. It's so fun. It's really cool that you can always like, you know, one of the things I love about it is that you can go through and you can identify exactly where people made their round or lost their round because yep. very rarely, like these guys black out like Scheffler when he shot 59, right? And they hit everything seemingly perfect and they're just on all day. But for the vast majority of rounds and over the course of four rounds, there's always rough patches. And I always think that the guys that are in, in the hunt are the ones that navigate those rough patches as well. And, and with these, like at Augusta and here, you can actually see what where these are. And it's so fun. Like I, I recommend everybody checking this out but it's you can really get a sense of how all these guys played and i think it it pigeonholed last year i'm going to do my other one of my other things you could see jt coming a mile away last year because of this every shot live like you'd go back and you're like oh my god he hasn't missed a shot for for nine holes 10 holes and it's like he just hasn't made a putt for the entire week and then all of a sudden putts started going in and and he he was like, you know, he was the very, like, it's this, you know, putting's very variable, but ball striking sticks around for a while. I think one of the things is like JT's performance last year goes a little underrated. You, you wrote about it and, uh, you know, I think it goes underrated cause he hasn't followed it up with, with as stellar of play as we would have expected. Yeah. And I think unfortunately part of that's the putter, which has been, it's been down for a while. And I think people are starting to talk about it. Um, I think that's really been the thing that, that held him back. But, I mean, it was incredible last year. You know, he hit the first 17 greens. Um, you know, he hits the green in two on nine, which that used to be, like, a momentous achievement. Um, there was, like, four guys who had, shot. Yeah. There was, like, four guys who had done it. Even then, JT, I mean, granted, 
you know, Jimmy Johnson caddied for Stricker, who's not exactly a bomber, and, and some other guys, but he said his caddy said that's the first time I've had an eagle putt on nine after he hit it in two. Um, on 11, he hits that big high cut with a four iron, makes eagle. 12, he drives it, hits a good drive on 12 that rolls through the green. 16 was like the epitome of like what he can do as far as moving it. Hits that controlled snap hook off the tee, the shot he plays on 10 at Augusta, and then balls above his feet on an upslope, and he hits a high cut with a five wood uh, onto the green on 16. And then he plays that controlled snap hook again, maybe a little closer to the water than he wanted on 18. <laughs> That's about the, that, was a, that was a very fortuitous bounce. Yeah. As, a, as a Westie fan, I was, I, was, I was miffed that that ball didn't bounce left on, the, on that hook. Yeah, but it was, you know, he's, I talked to his dad. His dad said, honestly, he's been flushing it since he was five. Like People ask him, what's the incredible stuff you saw from JT at a young age? And he said, he really just had this innate ability to hit it flush from the start. And even so, so like when he was seven and eight, we had to get him a full set of irons. Whereas like most kids that age, you get him like maybe just the even numbered irons, the odd numbered irons, because there's not that much disparity, right? But like when he was eight, there was enough disparity between his irons that he needed like a full bag. Um, and then Jay Seawall at Alabama told about how after practice, they'd have a contest to see who could hit flag sticks from 150 out. And he remembers the time that JT hit two of them, like in one contest on one day. Um, it's just, he, you know, he, he is a guy who he obviously is one of the best ball strikers on tour, maybe the best iron player post tiger. You could make a, a case for Morikawa, which they're playing together. So that makes it really fun to watch. Um, but also then a guy who really shapes it, you know, we talk about Morikawa and he alters height, um, but mostly plays the fade, but JT, you know, kind of just plays the, the full array and really does kind of have that old school mentality with iron play. And it was on full display at the players last year. I think the other thing that gets, you know, uh, goes under the radar about JT is how, how many shots he uses around the greens also. Yeah. Like he is, he's really fun to watch chip the ball. Cause he, he, he has the array. He has the full bag of shots. Like he hits, yeah. a, he keeps a lot of shots low and uses the ground a lot. Um, he bumps a lot of them into slopes. He, he really, he's a fun guy to watch play golf. I, you know, the putter is just, you know, you look at his, his career in that five win year is like the one, one year he putted above average, you know, it's just, if he could just be an average putter, he'd be the number one player in the world. Yes. Some say he's American Hideki. Um, but the average shot live, you combine it with tour cast, which is a kind of the cool 3d shot, um, or 3d hole models. And then show shot trails for every shot. It's it's a fun thing to play with because then when you do have every shot live, you have video of the shot to go with the shot trail. So it's a fun thing to like just sit around and play with if you have some time to dive in. Yeah, ultimate second screen uh, event. I think like yeah. that's the thing you could put the coverage on. You can kind of keep what's going on in you know in you know hear what's going on. You won't miss anything. But then it's a great tournament to just. I like love going through people's rounds. Yeah. Um, all right. What's your next one? Well, speaking of great players, uh, who are putting poorly, it's John Rom. <laughs> uh, I went through his stats today. So John Rom leads the PGA tour in greens regulation, leads the PGA tour in strokes gained off the tee second, or sorry, leads the tour in strokes gained tee to green second in strokes gained approach and fourth in driving distance, which I don't remember John Rom being like upper rest. I mean, he was long. I didn't realize, I don't remember him being top five long, but he's fourth in driving distance. So he's like, Far and away, when you include like off the tee, distance, driving it long and straight, hitting an approach shots, like he is unquestionably the best like combo on tour right now, and he's putting horribly. Changed putters last round at Riviera and going into Bay Hill. Um, you know there is variance. He blamed the Poana on the West Coast, which is interesting because it is hard for him to putt, but also like he does great out there. Yeah. <laughs> he he won there. the U S open and at Torrey Pines and he contends at Torrey Pines every year and won his first tour event there. So, you know, you do wonder, is it, is it a variance thing where if it is and things start to just turn, like you said, even average, then he's probably dominant. And if they don't, then he's going to go crazy, just striping it all day and getting nothing out of it. Well, I mean, this is the interesting thing about golf, right? You could have down years with the putter. The putter is so variable. It yeah. is a, um, and it is, uh, it's something that's like invokes scar- scars in people. Like, I think that's the thing is that putting struggles stick with you longer because there's just like a mental thing. And, and I think putting's almost easier when you're younger than when you get older, just because of the mental toll that you're, you're, you inflict on yourself over the years. And, and I think one of the things that makes Rom so appealing 
as a player and, and where you start to project out is his all around excellence and slippage. Like that's, those are the unicorns that I think is the unicorn players are the ones that like you look at it and it's like, Oh, they could conceivably finish top 20 in every strokes gain category. And John Rahm's in that, in that mix. And there aren't many guys that can do that. Um, so I think obviously that's a, you know, you look for it, putts are going to go down, but you just hope it doesn't last too long because that's where I think that's where you start to get worried about that type of stuff. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's even like, it might be looking too much into it, but you know, the 10 inch at Bay Hill and obviously he was just trying to tap it in, but you're like, is there also just that discomfort with the putter? Now granted with the greens, the way they were, it's hard to even just ground the club, but you know, the last three seasons before this one, he was 36, 22nd and 42nd in strokes game putting. Um, so he's a top 50 putter on tour. He's 135th right now. Again, you could be due for some regression. You don't know, but it's just something that I'm sure, obviously, you know, sooner than later, you want to see turn around. I mean, and, and the stats are, we're like 40% through the year, right? Yeah. Like something like that because uh, of the the wraparound schedule. One of the other things that I think you hit on there a little bit with Rom ranking so high in distance, there have been a lot of like sneaky distance gainers uh, this year. Like guys that you don't know, like, but then just have like, you know, you wrote about Will Zal Torres early in the year, but then you say, Rom, it's like, there are a lot of guys that have watched Bryson. They haven't made a big show of it, but they've come back longer. And it's not even, it's guys that you don't even know about. Like, uh, you know, Joseph Lamagna, uh, sent, uh, who's come on this pod a couple of times and writes for the, some for the fried egg. He sent me a text yesterday about sneaky distance guy, Chris Kirk who's who's really added a lot of distance and and it's interesting he's been just popping up on on leaderboards yeah so yeah. um hmm. interesting one that he 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 pulled out um and was relevant last week at bay hill one thing uh with this that i uh i you know obviously got shut down last year bryson was talking about playing up the ninth this is a golf course that kind of like it throttles everybody back yep and you know it a lot of players have talked about how long it took them to really learn how to play sawgrass. Obviously, famously, Rory talked about how it really frustrated him for a long time. I'm, you know, the holes aren't really close and you have these tall pines, but I'm wondering if there's going to be at some point, some people that start to try and push for alternate strategies on different holes. Yeah. I'm trying to think I can't off the top of my head, imagine one where you really can other than the ninth, going to 18 up nine, which which a kid did in the junior tournament. Yeah, you have to be incredibly long. There is a um, hospitality on the hill between nine and 18. So then I don't know where you'd get, if you wanted relief, like line of sight, I don't know where you would go. But yeah, that's really the only one. Because uh, the, the strand, there's not many holes that run parallel to each other. Um, and the, the trees between them are pretty thick. So big, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious, that even if it's like small things, like different different equipment. I, one of the things I'm always shocked about is how, you know, this is a golf course that you need to turn a ball over some. You need to yeah. hit some right to left shots. Like, I'm really always surprised that, like, there isn't more equipment tinkering week in, week out. And this yeah. seems like a, a course that you want a lot different bag here than at Riv, right? Yeah. Like you'd want to set this, this bag up differently, but they're so reluctant. Like I'm saying, you know, playing holes, but also how you approach this week just seems like one that you'd want to do something a little different. Yeah. I mean that, you know, you think about the tee shot at 10 at Augusta is unlike really anything else. It's a controlled snap hook and JT uses that shot on two 16 and 18. So that's three tee shots. That's one fifth of your tee shots for the round. And it, it is a controlled snap hook because he's not comfortable with just a little draw. Um, and it, but it works well. It's, it's a exaggerated stinger, I guess, if you will, but, um, you don't really see, see much of it. You see, especially in, in March, I think March is a little more of a driver golf course. You know, Rory said that when he won in 2019, um, when he ascended his throne, uh, that one reason that he finally had figured it out was because March is a little softer and more driver friendly, but yeah. I, and it is a course where you have to work it both ways to really kind of get the most out of it. Cause there are so many S shaped holes where it's a draw off the tee and then a fade into the green or vice versa. Um, I don't know. That's a good point though. Yeah. You know, so I think that's one of the things too, with modern, obviously we've seen like fades are, you can hit that knuckle cut now. Yeah. And, and that's what all, most of the 
best players in the world hit. And the equipment has actually started to favor that way too. So, you know, it, there's a lot of fade bias in drivers. And it's it, it just an interesting thing that you don't see, you know, it might even be going back to an older model driver um, that lets you turn the ball over a little bit more. And I'm, I'm curious if, if, you know, and I'm not a gearhead at all, but this is this is an event that seems like I would be looking at, like, is there, you know, like you think about one and ten. Those aren't those aren't driver tee shots, but no. you want to turn the ball right to left. Yeah, one's pretty straight. It, honestly, one to me always feels a little bit like a fade because you have that pond on the right that really doesn't come into play for tour players. But it's really actually pretty. I mean, honestly, it's the beauty of like Pete Dye's, you know, kind of visual tricks of like there's water on the right and it, it seems like you want to cut it off the um, off the trees, but like it really doesn't matter. Like it's just a it it looks like a dog leg to the right because the green is off to the right side, but where you're driving it is dead straight, but it's just, you're all turned about because of the bunker. You can see it by the greens. And it, I don't know. It's just, it completely messes with you. I think another hole is four um, mm-hmm. where you see some guys play driver more often now, which I'll be interested to see, especially with, you know, different wind directions. And if guys continue with that, especially if it's soft, um, but it really is. It's just, so much of having to work it too out here is really like, it's just a mental thing because of those visual tricks from Pete Dye. All right. What's your, what's your next one? What do you, how many you got left? You got two left. I got, I got one. two left. Um, I wanted to go to another elite ball striker since that's all we've kind of talked about, but one who is putting well, maybe we don't know why, but Colin Morikawa, um, you know, Morikawa's results just on, on the PGA tour this season are, are pretty incredible. It's second, seventh, fifth, fifth, second. And, you know, you, you think back and at the early part of his year, Morikawa or career, Morikawa like won. He took advantage of opportunities, right? He would get into contention and he would win. But then he would disappear for a little bit. And we saw it kind of late last year after he got injured, which granted that's an injury reason. But now, I mean, it's five straight finishes of no worse than seven. Uh, and his last eight starts worldwide, he's got a win, two runners up, a total of five top fives, and only two finishes outside of seventh. Like he's just this level of consistency now that you're seeing um and he's fourth the big thing is he's fourth in strokes game putting and um again how long does that last like you know we don't we don't know and um he was on the no laying up pod and, and talked about how i think just some of it's just you can you know you continue to learn and get a little bit better and address it and it's just if colin morikawa is going to even be like we we're done with rom like an average putter it's it's kind of dangerous Maybe, maybe you just need to get rid of the green books. Yeah, I honestly, I mean, maybe I, I think there is something, I think the guys talked about it first and, you know, we re- no one's really followed up and including myself, like two months into the no greens book, what the effect was. But, you know, a lot of guys, frankly, were kind of like, Hey, I'm glad I don't have to use them. Like I use them because everyone else was, and you don't want to lose that advantage of having the greens book. But for some guys maybe didn't realize until it was gone, that it was better to, get their nose out of the book and more focused on what was in front of them. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. It seems like he's a very, like the way he hits irons and <laughs> I mean, the tactical precision of that and like the yeah. ability to seemingly feel like, you know, Tiger always talk like pin high, like he hits his irons are so good and that's so feel oriented that yeah. I, I, you know, like you, you can't, yeah, you'd say it's one fifty four, but like, there's a lot of that goes into it of of wind, all that computation that goes through a player's head, and he is so good with that that it would make sense that he would be very good with with putting, like from a just that approach style, and it could could help him a lot. I don't know. It's, I think the consistency. What always amazed me about his collegiate career was that I think his senior year, I think. I think his worst finish was sixth in over the entire year. Yeah. And and it, that's what he's doing. And that's the thing I think that's been so impressive about him uh his entire career is when you start to like compile the averages of like this is how few cuts he's made, this is how many top twenty fives he's had, this is how many top tens, and it's just getting better and better, just like it did in college. Like he was always a great player. He was a great player as a freshman in college, but the consistency 
just got better year in, year out. And I think that's just, we're just going to see more of that from him on the PGA Tour level as he gets more and more comfortable. The other thing, like, now he's going through these courses for the third time. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. Shot a final round 66 last year here. Um, and I think, you know, people have different opinions about the Sagarin rankings. I frankly like them. They measure golf in a different way than we're used to. The world ranking favors kind of high finishes. You get tons of points, exponentially more points, just like how you get exponentially more money for high finishes. The Sagarins are more about just consistency. Like, it'll ding you for poor finishes. But if you're just consistently knocking on, like, T20 after T20, you'll be high in those. And he's 11th in those right now. But I mean, really, even after I think he won the Open, he was like mid-20s, which people kind of scoffed at. But it was because he'd have these great finishes, but then he'd also follow him up with a bunch of kind of middling finishes that, you know, the Sagarins kind of recognized. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's your last one? A couple of them. One, and this it's kind of repetitive, so I'll throw in a bonus thing. Um, also get that fifth thing just to get us major status. But, um, <laughs> Sneaking something it, in. <laughs> Just, you know, maybe getting people starting to think of it as a major. Um, I just looked really quickly at, like, the strokes gain rankings for the winners in March and May because, you know, we have uh, five players in March in the shot link era now because we had the ones from before 04, 05, 06, and then the last two. And so strokes gain approach in March, the average rank of the winner for that week was 3.8. The worst finish was sixth. In May, it was 14.4. Strokes gained off the tee. The average ranking was 12th, and that's because you had one person at 36th. The other four guys were in the top 10, whereas May it was 25th. And I think that goes back to it's a little bit um, softer of a golf course where it's more driver, Longer. so you can kind of separate yourself with your driver. And then I think with the approach play, because it is softer, you can flag it a little more. May was so firm, um, and you saw a lot of guys actually win with really impressive uh, around the green performances. You think of like Jason Day, Webb Simpson, Put- Putter was on fire. Siwoo. Siwoo was incredible around the green. Guys were missing tons of greens in May because it was so firm. And so really it kind of became more about the short game, whereas I think now with it being a little softer, a little longer, it really is more of a ball striker's performance. And so that's kind of, I'm going to go with uh, my last thing of, of Cameron Young. I'm really interested to see what he does. Um, he's been really impressive. His, he's made every cut since missing the cut at Sony. His worst finish is 40th. And really, he's done well in a variety of golf courses. And you think of this as like a – everyone talks about how this is a veteran's golf course. You need to know it. You need to learn it. You know, first-timers don't do well here. But, you know, he finished 20th at Torrey, 26th at Phoenix, runner-up at Riviera, 16th at Honda, 13th at Bay Hill. So just good performances on a variety of golf he's courses. He's got to be tired. He does have to be very tired. He is young. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, um, he's probably not people, tired of looking at his bank account the last few weeks, though. Definitely not. <laughs> um, and and so I'm just curious to see just what he does, just because he's shown an ability to adapt to so many different kinds of golf courses. Um, six of the last seven winners have been in their 20s at the players. Webb was the oldest at 32. So I think it's actually a little bit more of a young person's golf course again than we used to think it was. That's a, I, it's a good point. I think it it. It ties in a little bit about what Havlid was saying this week about how it, 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 when things get so firm, he feels like it's not, it doesn't favor him, who's obviously like a really elite ball striker, because then he ends up in a lot of areas where he has to chip from because it's so hard to hit greens. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a, the line of like what, where it is, like, because firm still is better, I think, for longer hitters and, 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 and you know, and better ball strikers. But yeah. there is like when it gets so nuclear firm, it, it, you know, it does kind of smoosh everybody back together. And I think that, uh, that's right. Unless you're Ken it? Duke. <laughs> Ken Duke. I think um, they should get an yeah. exemption. A permanent lifetime for that it, one. That it, round. Should, it should be on. They, you know, they do those re-airs of, of players, which I love, like the the months leading in, and it should be one of them. That that Saturday was wild. It was, and th- but those years, you know, those years that Rory, you know, talked about getting frustrated because he hit three iron off the tee all the time, because uh-huh. um, it really it was just so firm there was not room to hit driver because this is a kind of constraining golf course. You can't really. There's only so far you can hit it on some holes. It's constraining and it's like constraining mentally too. Cause it just yeah. like, you just don't feel very comfortable out there. It's like, you're just always on edge out there. Yep. So, uh, um, I think you have one more thing. Yeah, I got one more thing. I, I think this is just a, I mean, I'm happy about this because it's, uh, 
you know, a couple of years ago, we had the COVID thing, and it was like a, uh, you could just see it coming. It was just barreling down for, for Players Week. And this year, we had a similar thing with the Saudi stuff that was happening. And, and you know, obviously, Alan Shipnuck tweeted out that they were, like, planning a big Players coup, effectively. Yeah. You know, they were all going to announce here. And having that all died down is delightful because, you know, I think we've had, like, a really interesting run of golf um leading into this and it's exciting for the players like you know last year was still kind of weird it was like you know the first year it was one of the first big events back and this is like the first like you know players back since you know what sarah you know was the shutdown a couple years ago and i think that that's really cool it should be a fun weekend of golf fun week golf um I, you know it, it's a just a, it's a great great tournament yeah i was talking actually to your to Joseph Lamagna, who you were talking about, I was talking to him the other yesterday about Bay Hill and kind of just the different takes between um, when courses are difficult. You know, sometimes we're like, we love the chaos. Some, you know, then obviously there were concerns with like the Bay Hill setup and, and why it wasn't optimal. And I was kind of like, you know, we love chaos, but sometimes carnage kind of gets repetitive of, you know, guys are missing it in the same spot, right? But I think the players like there's this great element of chaos because of 17 and 18 um even like 11 like rom a couple years ago when it yeah. looked like he was gonna win and then you know he t- tried that absurd shot i think yeah. that's one of the most absurd i think adam hayes's caddy was like you could tell he just didn't think it was a good idea that was but yeah, there's chaos everywhere. Well, and it was great because the, anal- the analysis got down to like the rate, the direction of the rake lines that the ball was in. And I mean, we got like real forensic evidence on like what was going down with this shot that just was nowhere near Lance. I think the thing that was missing at Bay Hill last week was the idea that anybody could achieve anything like that. Yeah. A that a great player could come like I think what everybody loves what you love like and you think about it in terms of a story, right? You know, but like everybody loves chaos and carnage, but there needs to be like the triumphant hero that that comes out of like out of the carnage to win the tournament. And last week, like I said this on the shotgun start, but I think I think you could have played that tournament for five more days and there would have been 15 guys right around the lead, right around the same. You know, they would have been the same guys just like puttering around the same score. Because I thought that's why I thought Gary Woodland was going to win after yes. the Eagle on sixteen. I was like, oh, he's our he's our hero. Um, and the players, I mean, look, I'm just earning my paycheck, I guess. But the players is great because like your winning score is usually like twelve to fifteen under, right? So there's birdie opportunities. The par fives are reachable. There's a drivable par four, um, etc. There's lots of birdie opportunities, but like there's so you have both good and bad chaos. Like you can go on a run, and like JT said, it he's always liked this golf course. And he's like, from the fairway, it's not that hard. Like, it's very scorable from the fairway. So you can make a run. You can shoot 64. But once you start, you know, driving it out of play or missing fairways, like, it's really easy to rack up a number. And so you just have that great swing and scoring. Like, if a guy is on, he's going to attack it. And if he's not, he's going to get his face kicked in. And I think that's one reason why you see, like, the lack of consistency from players. Uh, Like, except for Adam Scott and Sergio, who always play well here. Like very few players have a very consistently good record here, and I think that's why. And I think it works out well. I, I'm always fascinated with Sergio and Adam Scott in every tournament because I, they've been a fixture of my golf life. And I thought we were going to go the entire pod without mentioning them, and I was going to be a little bit sad. But here, you and now you, you guys are fellow out. ambassadors. You and it's Sergio good, have a special bond. Yeah. Share the sunglasses. You're just t- tossing out free ads. I, I love it. Hey, uh, who's your pick this week? Who is my pick? Uh, whew, you know, I actually, that's not what I just did my things. Um, I'm trying uh, to figure out my pick too. So, you know, I kind of, I still am on Louis. Is Louis Island a thing? Usti Island? Yeah. Usti a, Island sounds delightful. A prefecture of Westy Island. Um, <laughs> he's still, he's had some solid finishes. He withdrew from Phoenix or no, sorry. Withdrew from, uh, I think RSM this season, but the rest is like a bunch of top 30 finishes and just a, a real solid ball striker. He's played well here before. Um, I think he'll, I don't want to pick him to win. Just, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of bad memories there, but um, I think a good week from him and maybe, maybe Morikawa. I think 
Actually, I, it's got to be Hovland. I think like it's got to be Hovland. I was just looking at Hovland. You have a guy, Hovland and Rom are the two, I think, guys I think of. And I think the stats bared out a little bit who like are the farthest, straightest drivers. Um, you know, they, they drive it far and they don't get it too far offline. And that's the best combo, especially out here. So I'm going to go Hovland. Yeah, I, I'm taking Hovland too. I think that this is a big year in terms of, it, it's weird saying this because last year was his first full year of majors. But yeah. he didn't do much in him. He had like some like round success. I think this is the year that he's going to start to be a factor at, in him. Um, and maybe he kicks it off with a win here. I feel like he kind of probably feels like he booted last week. And that's yeah. he comes in with like, you know, what Rory talked about, I think that's a, there's like two ways, right? Where you can go from a setup last week and you can you can be like worn out. But I also think you can go to the next week and be like, God, this is so easy. It's like swinging the baseball bat with a donut. Yeah, exactly. And I think it Hovland, was so hard last week. Yeah, yeah. I think Hovland has that mentality of like, he's probably going to come off that and be like, well, this is pretty easy compared to last week. He's also a guy, I mean, kind of like Scheffler, I guess, doesn't get upset by too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems like he seems like a delightful guy to hang out with. I I was really happy that Brentley Romine uh, uncovered that he had seen that photo I took of him uh, at the PGA. It is. It's a very beautiful photo. It really is. It's it's the best photo I've ever probably ever taken. I need I need to I need to send him a print. I gotta be honest though. I thought Eamon took it. So you may want to you may need to reestablish your credit. Eamon had the quote that made the photo okay. really good. That was uh, it was like the, both the the opulence and loneliness of professional golf. So now I just imagine you and Vic hanging out, listening to some just Norwegian death metal. Yeah, that's the problem. We wouldn't wouldn't share the the music taste. I don't I don't know if it would work out. Um, all right, Sean, you'll you'll be on site reporting. People can follow you on on Twitter, on Instagram, and then read your writing at pgatour.com. You got anything else? Uh, you just wrote the JT thing. Do you have anything else in the in the can that you want to talk about now? Nothing in the hopper. I think, yeah, the JT thing turned out well. I thought it was a fun story to, to do and just kind of get some of those stories from his past. Um, and then the rest, you know, just kind of stay flexible and stay fluid and, and, I guess, hop on the news when it happens. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have a good week and stay warm down there. You, you're going to need uh, we need to send you some winter gear from up north. I, you might, I don't have – I have mitts. I don't have big mitts. They all have to invest in some. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by the great Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. As a quick reminder, uh, we got a big tournament this week. This is a great time to sign up for the Fried Egg newsletter. Uh, Will Nice will be pumping them out this week, uh, always with his quick wit and uh, humor, as well as substance on what's going on. So subscribe by going to thefriedegg.com. Uh, there will be a newsletter sign up button right there and just enter your email. It's free. It comes three days a week and uh, everything's right there. You don't have to click out like you. You get this nice email right into your inbox and it's not a uh, you're not clicking links. There's you know, you're not going to be overwhelmed with advertisements when you click those links. Everything's right there in the email in a uh, super readable uh, format. So sign up for the newsletter, go to thefriedegg.com and sign up there. Mm-hmm.